Hey there, and welcome back to Jewelry Navigator Podcast. It is Halloween, October 31st, 2019, and I have a special treat for you. I'm actually replaying last year's episode from Halloween, October 31st, and it was a great episode. I talk about opals and explain the myth and wives' tale and the story behind opal and what gave it its lore of bad luck. And I also interview a special guest, Matt Hopkins of Hopkins Opal. They're a family of jam dealers and they specialize only in opal, the most magnificent opal. He helps dispel a lot of these myths and explains more about opal. And then I also explain the different varieties of opal. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you've heard it, it's definitely worth listening to again. Happy Halloween. And I didn't want to deliver a trick and not have an episode this week. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll be back next week with brand new episodes with stories of designers and newest jewelry deliveries. As an added treat, I want to tell you about a virtual trunk show that I'm doing at the moment with Crash Jewelry, and the prices will be good through tomorrow. I did a live Facebook presentation yesterday explaining. It's called Wheels and Squeals Trunk Show with Crash Jewelry, and if you're in my area and you know me, I will have something set up with my trick-or-treat table. But if you're not, you can still take advantage of the deals. Halloween 10 is a code that you can use on crashjewelry.com to get an extra 10% off. She's also having her big fall sale. So go check it out. Do some early holiday shopping or get a special gift for your guy or your girl. In fact, she makes cufflinks and she sizes bracelets for both men and women. And some of the cars that she uses are Ferraris, Maseratis, Lamborghinis, Mercedes. You get the picture, the really nice high-end cars. So go take a look and take advantage of my wheels and squeals trunk show with Crash Jewelry. Without further ado, here is last year's episode of Jewelry Navigator Podcast, The Not-So-Scary Truth About Opals. Happy Halloween and welcome aboard. Hello and welcome to the Jewelry Navigator Podcast. Today is a special episode. It is October 31st, 2018, Halloween. A special episode, but first let me introduce myself. If you've never been to the show, my name is Brenna Pakes, and I started a blog and podcast to teach shoppers and interested, curious people about jewelry and gemstones and guide them to unique jewelry designed by independent jewelers and designers. I share stories and facts and information to help you make better choices when you go shopping for jewelry and how to care for the jewelry that you already have. So welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. And I thought I would share some tips and facts about some misunderstandings about Opal. Opal kind of got a bad rap and I'm going to explain about it, but should you avoid Opal? Is it really bad luck? I'm going to tell all about it in this episode. Thanks so much for joining me and enjoy the episode. 
Hey there, happy Halloween. It is Wednesday, October 31st. And wasn't that music super cool and fun? I didn't want to do anything too spooky because I didn't want to scare you, but (laughs) I don't really like scary things. But um, anyway, that music was really fun. And that was by, I find a lot of my music on the royalty-free YouTube audio library. And that's called Something's Here by The Whole Other. It doesn't say that you have to give them attribution, but I felt like I should because it is such a cool little piece of music. Anyway, happy Halloween. I felt like this would be a perfect time to talk about opals. I don't know if you are aware of it. If you like jewelry, you probably are, but opals kind of have this very mysterious and mythical things and beliefs that swirl all around them. There are so many misunderstandings about whether they're lucky. They have a reputation of being bad luck, and some people feel like if it's not your birthstone, you shouldn't wear it because it'll bring you bad luck. Um, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I have some opals, and I've been fine. But I'm going to tell you there is a story behind that that I'll share with you that'll make a little bit more sense about that. But whether or not it's bad luck, you'll have to decide for yourself. But like I said, there are a lot of mysterious beliefs that swirl around it. And being Halloween, I felt like it was perfect time to dispel them or, you know, share them. See what you think. I've been wanting to address these issues with Opal and the misunderstandings around them. But what really prodded me to do that was that one of my listeners, one of the podcast listeners, reached out to me with some questions about some opals that she has. They're not your regular opals, but I'll tell you more about them in just a few minutes. Because I'm relatively unfamiliar with Ethiopian opal, I did some outreach to some other gemologists and people in the trade. One was MD Maya Gems, and the other one was Diana Jarrett. They were both gracious enough to get back with me with information and even included some resources that I could use. And I have a special guest who I spoke with, and he he agreed to allow me to share some of his explanation. It's Matt Hopkins from Hopkins Opal. I'm really excited to be able to share some of his wisdom and experience with opals to help me answer some of the questions that I had that will help you understand opals a little bit more. Opals are really interesting gemstone. They're not your traditional crystal. They don't form in a crystal shape like most other gemstones. Like I know you've probably seen quartz crystals, um, amethyst crystals, those big, long, prism-shaped crystals. Opal doesn't form that way. It does form in a hydrous environment, and what happened is silica dissolved in a solution of water in very arid environments in the deserts of Australia, parts of Mexico and New Mexico, Peru, and Ethiopia. Those are the highest yielding areas where the mines are, where they they produce opals. And you're probably most familiar with the Australian opal sources. And they still are producing really magnificent black opals and white opals. There are so many different varieties of opals you probably don't know about besides the traditional white body opal. There's black opal, and it's not black like you would think. It has, um, rather than being a white body color, it has a darker white body color. But what's really exceptional about black opal is that the play of color is really intense. Blues and greens and 
purples. It's all, it's so beautiful. You'll have to see it. And what I'll do is I'll post some pictures of opal, raw opal gems or crystals and opal gemstones as, along with some opal jewelry. And some of the most magnificent opal jewelry I've seen is Thesis Gems. I spoke with Kate Claus of Thesis Gems a few weeks ago. She's on one of the podcasts, and I'll include that in the show notes. And another exceptional jeweler, Russell Trousseau, he's in Cleveland, Ohio. He makes beautiful flowers and butterflies out of opals that you wouldn't recognize as opals. So I'll include some of his jewelry in the the blog post, the coordinating blog post. Okay, so let's get down to demystifying opals so that you understand why they came about to have a bad reputation of having bad luck or giving the wearer bad luck. I found a really excellent explanation by a gemologist and jewelry designer. Her name is Catherine Jetter, and she wrote a great article called The Truth About Opals, and that was in the Elite Traveler magazine. And I'll read the parts that explain the history of opal. And this is going to help you understand why opals got that reputation of having bad luck. In Sir Walter Scott's Anne of Gerstein, the beguiling princess Lady Hermione wears a dazzling opal in her hair. The beautiful iridescent stone sparkles spectacularly when she is in fine humor, but flares red when she is not. For this reason, the gem is sprinkled with holy water, causing it to lose its luster. Hermione becomes ill and faints. As enchanted princesses are wont to do, she she is carried to her chamber. The next day, nothing but a small heap of gray ashes is found on her bed. Who knows if Scott meant to portray the opal as unlucky to its wearer, but his novel sure did bring bad luck to the opal industry in the early 1800s. Scott more than likely chose the opal over other precious stones for its magical play of color, but the damage was done. She continues to explain that nothing revives a trend like a famous patron. Patron, However, and in the 1850s, Queen Victoria did just that for opals. The queen kept an impressive personal collection and donned opals throughout her reign. Like Princess Kate Middleton today, the fashion world closely watched the royal British court, and opals soon became sought after around the, around the world. Around this time, a fine quality opal was discovered in far-off Australia. Determined to bring a stop to the rising popularity of opals were the envious diamond merchants of Hatton Garden in London, who started a smear campaign intent on once again damaging the opal's reputation by portraying it as unlucky gemstone. So there you have it. That explains how opal got its mythical bad reputation of being unlucky when actually opal really isn't unlucky unless you wear it too often and you scratch it because it actually is kind of soft. It has a hardness between six, excuse me, between five and six and a half when the Mohs scale goes to 10 at, with diamond being the hardest at 10. And what that means is when you wear a gemstone that has a lower hardness, that means that its durability may not be as good as something with a higher hardness measurement. 
and opals will chip or scratch pretty easily. So you do have to be careful with that and just be very aware of when you wear opals, especially in a ring. That's what I'm mostly talking about. Necklaces and earrings, you don't have to worry about, but anything where there's going to be constant exposure on your hands or your wrists, even bracelets, you just have to be really be careful because they are soft. So I guess, you know, in that case, Opals can be (laughs) unlucky, but that's only if you're not careful with them. Okay, so let me get on with the question that I had from my listener. Jessica Nelson sent me the nicest little note on Instagram, but she had some questions about some opals that she had. And here's what she said. She said, hello, Brenna. I've been binge listening to your podcast this past week. I am so happy to have found your podcast. I have a random question that I'm hoping you may be able to answer. I purchased several Ethiopian opals over the last few years, and my older pieces are turning yellowish orange hue. What is causing this, and can I reverse it? I don't expose them to extreme temperatures, nor do I get them wet. Thank you again for all your podcasts. Okay, that's a really good question because I have noticed when I've come across jewelry set with Ethiopian opals over time, that can happen. And it got me thinking and wondering. So I reached out to a few opal specialists and Matt Hopkins was kind enough to spend some time with me and answer some questions. Another misunderstanding that people have about opals is if they were formed in a hydrous environment, shouldn't you keep them wet? And That is such a misunderstood concept all across the jewelry industry. It really needs to be addressed because he answers it really well. And then the other one is to protect them and keep them moist or, you know, hydrated to put oil on them. So he helps us understand um, the reasons why you should or shouldn't do those things. So listen in and he does a great job of addressing both of those issues. A little background about Hopkins Opal. They're a family business and they've been doing business with Australian Opal strictly for decades now. He didn't disclose how long, but for a very long time. They have a very good reputation because they do only resource or they only source from Australian mines. So everything is ethically ethically sourced and knowing especially where they come from is really helpful. So he shed some light on some of the misconceptions that we get confused about with Opal. So listen in and I hope you enjoy what he shared with me. Well, what prompted me to reach out to you was on one of my podcasts, I can't remember which one, I had a listener reach out to me and ask me, about some Ethiopian Ethiopian opal stones that she has and that they've changed color. They've kind of yellowed. And I've I've noticed that as well with some of the Ethiopian pieces that I've seen and come across. Um, Can you... Yeah, they change. Yeah, can you explain to me why that is? Well, Ethiopian opal, um, there used to there, uh, Ethiopian opal came onto the market uh, roughly about 15 years ago. Um, or so. Uh, the first uh, the first batch of the Ethiopian opal that was out on the market was sort of like this, uh, almost like a chocolatey color. It was uh-huh. 20 years ago. Cause it was anywhere between 15 and 20 years ago. So this chocolatey color, they called it 
uh, black opal, but it was more of a chocolatey color, some, you know, some reds and greens, that sort of stuff. It was, uh, most, most all of it was, uh, was cracky mm-hmm. and, and, and it all crazed, it all broke apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, a lot of people got stung on that material and then they opened up the, and then they opened up the, uh, the, the newer find, which tends to be, uh, a very stable material, mo won't crack or stop stops cracking after a certain period of time, but it's all hydrophane and mm-hmm. uh, hyd- yeah, hydrophane uh, hydrophanity um, is, um, is is where a moisture can penetrate, flow in, and then also flow out. And you don't necessarily have to have it in water for for it to, to flow in. Uh, um, you know, it can draw moisture from its surroundings just being there um and not only will it be will it draw in water but it will draw in sweat and um ink uh as a matter of fact you know a lot of the treated a lot of the treated uh ethiopian opal that's uh that's being sold on the market has uh essentially been bathed in a viscous uh mixture of ink and whatever else they they did, and it penetrates into the stone itself mm-hmm. through uh, through the, um, uh, the porosity of, of the material, and and stays in there, you know, and permanently colors the, the the body color, you know, makes it a darker body color, so it looks more like black opal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's rather easy to to detect and find and 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 view, but um, but uh, that is being done with. Uh, with Ethiopian opal, and the reason that uh, some of the material is changing is because of the, the, its hydrophanity. Um, it's either broad and it's it's it, uh, it's changing because uh, the presence of uh, some other um, something else that has got gotten into the stone, whether it be moisture or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, the yeah the the Indians were the first the Indians uh, were the first to really start. Producing a lot of finished goods, um, but the uh, the cutting, uh, the Indians are very very good cutters, and they developed um, predictable methods of cutting the stones and then drying the stones out um, through using, uh, I believe they used rice or, or whatever else, and, and they just made sure that they drew all of the all of the uh, the moisture out of it, or, or as much moisture as they could, because when you're cutting opal, you actually you know you have to have you have to have water running, mm-hmm. otherwise it'll otherwise it uh, it um, damages the surface and you can't mm-hmm. get the yeah. so um, you have to have the water running and so they developed a method of uh, predictably um, cutting it so that uh, and and drying it out so that it could get back out into the market. But once it's out on the market, well then you know. It's and uh, it's unfortunate that the that the suppliers weren't uh, as um, forthright in the beginning of uh, of marketing the Ethiopian material um, with the with the fact that it uh, is hydrophane and you do have you would have to um, you do have to take special uh, precautions. Or, mm-hmm. or you know, inevitably, it, it uh, most likely will change, um, and not in a good way. Okay. So once once it changes color, is there? 
can they can it be reversed? Can it be put in mm, rice and um, dried out? No, I no. no, I'm not. I'm not sh- because you don't know what else it's bringing in there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it could be there could be the presence of something else there as well. But uh-huh. because of the fact that right now most of the material that's being produced out of Ethiopia is hydrophane. Now, that's not to say that some of it may not be hydrophane. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a small percentage of it that is not hydrophane, but the vast majority, and I'm talking, you know, the vast majority is hydrophane. Okay, my other question is there's a lot of confusion with how people should care for their opals. And all over the place I hear people in jewelry stores recommend that they put their opal jewelry in water or, or oil them. Oiling oiling them is not is not something that uh, you should really need to do or, or should do, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But putting them in putting them in water, I mean, there is there good quality good quality opal, good quality stable non cracky opal. You should not have to do that with mm-hmm. at all. You know, wearing it is just fine. You know, there are oils on your skins and, you know, the elements and everything else. Um, there, uh, yeah, you should not have to, you should not have to do that at all. Um, if anything, if you're going to be leaving it in a extremely dry place, like, uh, like a, a, a vault, for instance, you know, where mm-hmm. it's going to be sitting for years and years and years in, you know, safe deposit box, mm-hmm. then, then yeah, you should possibly, or even in, uh, or even in a, in a safe for a long period of time, you may want to put just a tiny little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, water there with a little hole in the top, just so that, you know, it keeps the atmosphere, but you know, the regular atmosphere is, is, is fine for, is fine for good quality opal. You shouldn't have to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah, I think that's um, something that a lot of people don't understand because if opal was formed in a, you know, basically a hybrid environment, shouldn't that be good for it if you put it back in the water? And I can understand that. That um, yeah, it's not that moist. I mean, this is really dry ground. You know, mm-hmm. very dry, very dry climate, very dry ground. Um, you know, at least where we're mining and the, all the other mines in Australia, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty damn dry. As a matter of fact, we don't go down certain past a certain spot. I mean, there's, there can be opals, you know, down 70 feet. Um, but we won't go down that far because that's where the water, you know, that's when you start to get a little bit more moisture from the water table way down, way down mm-hmm. below. And, and the, uh, percentage, uh, the likelihood of the percentage of, the um, the uh, the water uh, trapped in between the, the silica spheres, um, maybe a higher percentage, and you know it's it's a much likelier that the further you go down into the ground, the the less the the less stable it is because of of you know the the uh, less stable it is because it's less mature, it's had less time to to sort of you know breathe as it were and uh, there may be a higher percentage of uh, there there's uh, the 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 thinking is there's a higher percentage of uh 
of water in those in that in, in those particular stones. So, um, you know, there's there's uh, the school of thought. Yeah, you put it in water or oil or whatever else, but you shouldn't have to at all, or you shouldn't really at all mm-hmm. if there's um, or if there's uh, um, just this this stuff that grows in water too. You know what I mean? <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so what, what, what kind of, what do you, what kind of atmosphere you're in or what kind of, what, yeah, what kind of atmosphere you're introducing to, you know, to a stone, um, that, uh, you know, that has microbes and everything else that may be growing in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And, okay. uh, but good, good quality, good quality, Crystal or black opal from from Australia, you, you know, from from a from a uh, from a reliable source. Um, I don't put I don't put any I don't put any of my stones in water, ever. Okay. Well, thanks so much yeah. for sharing your information and taking time with me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, not a problem. Well, I hope that helped clarify some doubts or misunderstandings that some of us may have had about opal. I thought it was really interesting to learn that opal doesn't need to be watered like a plant, but um, it, although it does form in a very hydrous environment, the water dries out. Um, opal forms in very arid environments. In fact, to quote the article that I mentioned a little while ago by Catherine Cheddar, The Truth About Opals from Elite Traveler, she said, like most precious gemstones, opals take millions of years to form. 95% of the world's opals are formed in the barren earth of the Australian outback, while the remaining 5% are from Mexico, Ethiopia, and Peru. Seasonal rains soak the dry cracked soil and fill fractures and cavities of the desert. The running rainwater carries with it stones of unusually high mineral composition. Over millions of years, these silica layers accumulate, forming beautiful polychromatic opal deposits for lucky miners to discover. So once again, that was by Catherine Jetter, and it was a perfect way for me to understand how opals form, don't you think? Um, it, it makes a lot more sense, but once the minerals are deposited, the water evaporates. So actually, once the water is gone, opals are no longer in water unless they are discovered closer to water table like Matt was explaining to us. So to circle back around and discuss a little bit about Jessica's concerns about her Ethiopian opal stones that she has that she said were turning like a yellowish-orange color, that's because even though she may not have been storing it in water, it was still absorbing moisture from the air, and it could also be a reaction of the stone from any kind of liquid um, formulas that the original stone was was exposed to. So if you have a piece of Ethiopian opal, you might want to just make sure to be aware that that's something that could happen. It's a beautiful opal and hopefully we'll get a better understanding of how the hydrophane qualities behave and possibly be able to treat it in the future. But for now, it's just something to be aware of. 
Some of the other kind of opals that you may not be aware of, one that is um, really unusual looking, it's an orange translucent variety, translucent to transparent, but it's a fiery orange color, and it's called fire opal, Mexican fire opal, because it was originally discovered in Mexico, and it almost looks like an orange gel color. It's a really, really pretty opal. It looks nothing like the traditional opal, like what you're used to, the white body color with a flash of color, and some of them do have a flash of color um, along with the orange color, but it's a really pretty stone. Once again, it does have the same hardness as as every other opal, so it is a softer stone, and if you wear it in a ring, just be extra careful. Some other considerations to be aware of with opals, most jewelers are going to let you know this, and it will be labeled on the tag, hopefully. There is a way that they can take a really fine quality slice of opal and then adhere a quartz crystal dome or a cabochon top on top of it. So it's clear on the top and through it, you can see the really nice slice of opal through it, but altogether it looks like a really nice opal and they're called assembled stones. And um, that's a doublet where it has two pieces. And then there's a triplet where there are three pieces. So sandwiched in between a base material like obsidian, which is a volcanic glass. They take a slice of obsidian, put that on the bottom, and then a slice of really fine opal, put that in the middle, and then the dome crystal top on top. It's a it's a cost-effective way to get something that looks like a really fine opal, but at a, at a very reasonable cost. Um, with any of these kind of alternatives, it always need to be, needs to be disclosed. So make sure you're dealing with and working with jewelers who practice high integrity and have your best interests at heart. So I hope that helps clarify some of the spooky spooky misunderstandings that some of us have about opal. <laughs> They're really pu- beautiful stone and for some reason October got lucky enough to be chosen to have it as its birthstone. So lucky October babies, but don't reserve it just for October babies. Be bold, wear them. They're beautiful and keep an eye out for my post. I will post other other examples of opals. Um, I did mean to mention that there, besides the fire opal, there are some that are more opaque. It's like a pink and a green. And the jeweler I mentioned earlier, Russell Trousseau, he made a beautiful pair of pink opal carved earrings that I will post on the blog. Happy Halloween, and don't be afraid to wear your opals. Until next time. Cross-check your safety class. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.